Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. And uh, Hebrews 10 and 22, uh, starting with the very first phrase, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, this phrase, draw near, it uh, means to be near, to draw near, or to worship. And where the Holy Spirit has had us over the last uh, uh, few weeks, I think maybe three weeks now, is along these lines, that our progression, our maturity, our spirituality, or whether or not we're spiritual, is involved in whether or not we draw near. The goal of the Christian life is progression. It's maturity. It's that we grow up into Christ. That's what uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4 references when it says that God hath placed some in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, or that He gave gifts, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and it talks about the maturity of the saints for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then it says that we may grow up into Him. And so the goal of the Christian life, the goal of the Christian experience, is that we mature, that we grow, that we progress. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23... Uh, we talked on this at some length last week. I don't know that we'll uh, deal with it so much this week in that depth, but we have to to look at it somewhat uh, in depth to build from here. Uh, I kind of look at it this way. What we've been doing is clearing some brush, Now we're going to start chopping down trees. Uh, What you have to understand is, for instance, when you're cutting down a tree, you don't just go cut the tree down. You have to make sure, uh, you know, there might be uh, little, little shrubs, brush around it. You've got to clear that out. You've got to make sure the, the path that you're going to lay that tree down that it doesn't get hung up in another tree because then you've got a problem, all right? That, that's, that's really dangerous, all right? You want that tree to lay down exactly where you want it to be. And so what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is, is clearing the ground, all right? And now we can start cutting down the trees. In 1 Thessalonians 5, And 23, Paul says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be preserved blameless 
unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, holy is the key word here. Your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body. The Roost Bible says every part of each one of you. Every part of each one of you. Your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body. We went over this last Wednesday, but my spirit was completely reborn at salvation. My soul, my mind, my will, my emotions are in the process of salvation. It's ongoing. We, we referenced what Brother Hagin said, that your mind doesn't stay renewed any more than your hair stays combed. You have to consistently be renewing your mind and working out that salvation in your life. We'll get into that uh, tonight. My body will be redeemed. My body will be made perfect at the return of Jesus. Hallelujah. The salvation of my soul, let me back up. The salvation of my spirit, when I was born again, has to affect every part of my life, every part of my being. I am a, a, a tripartite being. I am a spirit. I possess a soul. I live in a body. There are believers who live a carnal lifestyle because their salvation has never affected their soul. All right, they're born again. They're saved. They, if they died today, they would go to heaven. But their salvation is not affecting their soulish realm. Hallelujah. And consequently, the acts of the body then are not affected. Because the soul is not affected. When, when, when very often when believers talk about the flesh, they talk about this body. Well, this body is not operating separate from or independent of your soul. The Bible says in the book of James that the spirit is what gives this, this body life. It says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So what that means is a, a, a believer or an unbeliever, what animates their physical body, their flesh body, is their spirit. Well, in between the spirit and the body is the soul. The soul is where you make your decisions. The soul is your chooser the soul is where you decide amen my spirit is born of god my body according to scripture is from the earth my soul my mind my will my emotions are those faculties that god has placed in every man and woman that's born into this earth so that they can make a decision, first and primarily, to serve God. But it's enough to be said that that's where I make my decisions. That's where I decide. 
what's going to go on in my life. And so this flesh, this body, does not act independently of my soul. My spirit that's born again and created in the image of God, it cannot, it cannot flow through this natural self, this body in the actions of faith and the actions of the things of God if my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions are not renewed and affected. Hallelujah. And so, Philippians chapter 2 shows us something. <coughs> Verse 12. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So notice this. We have something to do where our salvation is concerned. I have something to do there. It's not up to just God alone. Now, there are people that teach and preach that, that everything is, is just up to God. Well, Paul writes the Philippians, and he says, you need to work out your salvation. So, where my salvation is concerned... It's not up to just God alone. Now understand, we don't work out the new birth. Because that's already happened. All right, the new birth has already happened. When you, the, the new birth is not a process. It's, it's, it's an event. Not a process, it's an event. At some point in time when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were, praise God, translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. God became your father and you became his very own child. Amen. But here's the thing. Our salvation is broader than just the new birth. That, that's the beginning. I was uh, reading Brother Hagin's book, Tongues Beyond the Upper Room, and he made a statement concerning uh, tongues and the Holy Spirit, and he said, uh, many, for many believers, the greatest experience they've had with the Holy Ghost is when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And he said, that's really a shame. He said, because that was just the beginning. All right, you should go on to deeper experiences with the Holy Spirit. Well, the same with salvation. The new birth was the beginning. That was, the, that was when I was translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That was when I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. And my salvation is broader than that. The new birth is the most important part of it, but it involves more than just the new birth. Just getting saved. Hallelujah. In Romans 1 and 16, it's a familiar passage of Scripture. But notice, Paul said, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It is what? The power of God unto salvation. Uh, C.I. Schofield, in his uh, reference Bible, made the statement, the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation both imply the ideas of deliverance, of safety, of preservation, healing, and soundness. He went on to say, salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel. It gathers into itself, into that word salvation, it gathers into itself all the redemptive acts and processes, such as justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, forgiveness, sanctification, imputation, and glorification. Notice that. It gathers into itself all the redemptive acts and processes. So there are redemptive acts and processes. Now why is that important? Our salvation is still being worked out by our participation in it. As, as I participate in salvation, it's being worked out in my life on a daily basis. Redemptive acts and processes. All right? There, there are people that get born again, and that's where it stops. They are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. All right, they are born again, and that is basically where it stops. Amen. And, and, and there are people that, that uh, love the Lord and live for the Lord, but they are saved. They are on their way to heaven. And we could go so far as to say uh, uh, there are uh, denominations and whatnot that that's where it stops, where their familiarity with the Holy Spirit is concerned. I mean, they don't press into the deeper things of the Spirit uh, they, 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 they do not uh, see the need for the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, uh, the, the moving of the gifts of the Spirit and these other things. That's where it stops. Amen. There are believers that get saved and then they are filled with the Holy Spirit and that's where it stops. I knew a man one time that believed that you know, you might get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues one time and never speak in tongues again because he believed that it was as the Spirit willed, that, that you could pray in tongues if the Holy Spirit wanted you to. Yes, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he believed it because he had spoke with tongues, but he believed you may or you may not pray in tongues because it may not be the Spirit's will. Well, here's the thing. That the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is one of my rights and privileges as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I have the right, according to the Apostle Paul, to make a decision by my will. If I will pray in tongues, I will sing in tongues, I will do these things in the Spirit. Hallelujah. So we see this idea that we're growing. 
in the things of God. These redemptive acts and processes. So our salvation is being worked out as we what? Participate in it. We have to have a participation. Ralph Earl, in his book, Word Meetings in the New Testament, he stated the fundamental idea contained in soteria, which is the word for salvation in the Greek, is the removal of dangers menacing to life and the consequent placing of life in conditions favorable to free and healthy expansion. Then he said the basic idea of salvation is deliverance. The basic idea of salvation is deliverance. So God brought the new birth to deliver us out of the spirit of darkness and bring us into light. That's why the new birth occurred. Hallelujah. And he gives us the word to deliver us in our walk. So he delivered me out of the kingdom of darkness. I was delivered out of that. But then after that event of salvation, he then gave me the word to deliver me in my daily walk. Do you see this? Then... He gave us the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to teach us, to guide us, to reveal to us all the redemptive acts and processes. If you are born again and you get a hold of the Word of God and you start going through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will begin to enlighten you and inform you and teach you and guide you and reveal to you from the Word of God all the redemptive acts and processes that God has in it for you. Hallelujah. Do, do you see that? There are people, I've, I've known people and heard people preach and, and heard people's testimonies that, that for, for instance, I'll, I'll use one very familiar to us, Brother Hagin. When he was on his sickbed, of course he had gotten born again, well, he went to a denominational church that did not preach healing. They believed that healing signs and wonders were done away with. Hallelujah. No, no preacher would come and visit him. One did, and, and, and that's another story for another time. But uh, m most of the ministers that he called for did not come and teach him. His family didn't know anything about it. So he's on his deathbed as a teenager... And he starts going through the Word of God after he was born again. And going through the Word of God, he began to see that it was God's will for him to be healed. Now, nobody taught him that. Nobody showed him that. Nobody took him to chapter and verse and said, it's God's will that you be healed. But when he found the Scripture that it was God's will for him to be healed. It was just a matter of time before he's coming off that bed. Because the Holy Spirit is enlightening him to the redemptive acts and processes in the Word of God. And I've seen that over and over again. Someone may not even have a natural knowledge. 
that it is God's will, meaning they've not been taught that. But they will get in the Word and the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal those things to them. Hallelujah. So the Word delivers us in our walk as we walk this out. We have the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to reveal to us all the redemptive acts and processes in the Word of God. Hallelujah. This is so important because this goes even farther than than just living right, although that's the crux. The crux of what we're dealing with is how to grow, how to progress, how to lose that carnality, how to be spiritual. Amen. Back in Philippians 2, we read uh, verse 12. Let's look at... uh, Well, we'll read verse 12 and 13. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, notice, which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, remember something. It's only God who can make us what we ought to be but it's only us who can do the things we ought to do it's only God that can make us what we ought to be but it's only us who can do what we ought to do hallelujah do you see that it's only me that can do what I should do That's why I remember what James said. He said, if you hear the word and you do not do the word, you're deceiving yourself. So there's a hearing and a doing. Uh, Paul wrote (coughs) to the Corinthians and he said, uh, here's what you need to do. He said, you need to awake to righteousness. Awake to the fact that you are the righteousness of God. And sin not. Now notice they had something to do. So it's only me, it's only you that can do what we ought to do. That there's any number, there's any number of verses. When, 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 when people talk about the, the uh, for instance, the devil uh, giving them a hard time and putting pressure on them. Well the Bible says if you do this, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Right? What did God make you? God made you a new creature with power and authority over the devil. Only I can operate that power and authority that I've been given over the devil. I've got to let that work out through my life. So only God can make me what I ought to be, a new creature. Only I can do what I ought to do. Hallelujah. The scriptural approach. I've heard this statement in church a lot. Uh, I, I, not, not in our churches, obviously, but especially growing up. Oh, brother, let go and let God. <laughs> well, that's not the scriptural approach. The scriptural approach is not let go and let God. The scriptural approach is get in there with God. Get in there and do something. Hallelujah. It's a... Uh, it's uh, maybe not the best illustration, 
because obviously we don't advocate this behavior. But I remember uh, a, a story that I heard growing up. There was a lady that came to a church, and uh, she had started going there and, and had been there for a while. And, and uh, there was a, a prayer group that was meeting, and uh, she enjoyed praying and liked to pray, and so she got involved. And, and uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the head of that prayer group told her, she said, Sister, we are, we are praying that this bar down the street from the church will close that it'll go out of business. And she said, okay. And so they prayed a couple days. And uh, uh, in about two or three days, the news came out that 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 bar had burned to the ground. Oh, that lady was so excited. She came to that new lady and she said, I gotta have you pray with me more often. She said, "Uh, uh, we only prayed, uh, what, two or three days and that bar burned to the ground. And the lady reached in her, in, her, in her pocketbook and pulled out a box of matches and said, I believe in putting legs on my prayers. No, we don't advocate burning down buildings. But here's what I'm saying. You got to get in there with God. There are things that God wants to do in our lives, but we've got to get in there with Him. Right? There are people who say, well, I can't help. You know, this is a, this, this problem, this habit, this... Uh, 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 situation, this sin, if you will. All right, it keeps, it keeps popping up in my life. Well, there's something you've got to do. The Bible says shun the very appearance of evil. The Bible says good, uh, uh, bad companionships corrupt good manners. There, there are things that I have to do. I have been given the power over sin. I have been given the power over the flesh, but I cannot consistently open the door to the thing that I have the power over over and allow it to come into my life, there's something I have to do. I have to resist the devil. I have to put off the old man. I have to put on the new man. Different things that I have to do. Hallelujah. And and mature Christians realize that. Immaturity is this, wanting someone else to do everything for you that you have the ability to do. That's immaturity. Amen. Do, do, do you see that? See, when a parent, for instance, when they do everything for their child when they're little, they're going to eventually end up having a child that wants them to do everything for them when they're grown. Because here's the thing. If you don't train that child when they're little that you don't get everything you want, everybody doesn't do everything for you, that becomes ingrained in them. And when they get up in their teenage years, their young adult years, whatever the case may be, they're still wanting everyone to do everything for them. And that's an immature mindset. Because when you're two or three or four years old, you have to have help. Because there's things you can't do. Even though you have the ability in the sense that uh, you have arms, you have legs, you have a, a, a mind, you have ears, you have eyes, you can see, you can hear. But there's things you can't do because you're not physically able. As you mature, your ability matures. But the older you get, the more you can do. Glory to God. 
when, when a child is being potty trained, they are taught to what? To, to come to mom or dad and say, I need to go potty. Well, you know, that's okay when they're two and three and four and, 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 and uh, 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 a little beyond that. But if that child is 16 years of age and they're coming in the, in the living room jumping up and down saying, I need to go potty, I need to go potty, there's a problem. They're not doing what they ought to do. Oh, hallelujah. Do you see that? This is important. So we got to get in there with God and work out our salvation. We've got to cooperate with God. That's why the scripture talks about things over and over again. Put certain things away from you. Uh, Put lying away from you. Put dishonesty away from you. Don't put these things in front of your eyes. Make, in other words, make it easy on yourself to grow up. Hallelujah. You know, I've learned something. The less doubt I listen to, the less doubt I have to deal with. (laughs) And And I've learned the more faith that I hear, the more faith I have. Now that sounds simple. But there are people that want to listen to everything that's going on in the world and feed mainly on that as a diet and then expect their faith to work. If you're not equaling or exceeding the level of of natural information that's coming in your life with spiritual information, you're going to have a hard time being mature and growing. Because what will stunt your growth is those things that, that, that inhibit spiritual growth. And so, he goes on and says, For it is God that works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So that means God not only gives us the will to please, but the ability as well. Not just, notice what it says, works in you both to will and to do. So if I see it in his word, which is his will, he also gives me the power. That with the, the word here, this is so important. Because as we work out our salvation, we'll find that God works in us. The, the, the word work is the verb uh, energio, E-N-E-R-G-E-O. And it means energize. So what we see, it says it's God that energizes you. It's God that gives you the energy. It's God that gives you the ability to what? To, to will, to want, to desire His good pleasure and to do it. Oh, glory. So that means I'm not dependent on my own strength. My energy comes from God. I'm not dependent on just what I can do. I'm not dependent on just the natural man to say no. When I say no, the energy of God helps me keep that decision. Because He's working in me to help me do His will. I'm I'm not here. That's why you'll hear people say, Oh, living for God is so hard. Living for God is so tough. It's a hard old way. It's not what the Scripture says. It says that God works in you to will... So, so, right? 
to give you the will, the desire, and the ability to do it. Glory to God. Every person can grow. Every person can mature. Every person under the sound of my voice in our churches can do the will of God because God says, I have put the desire there and the ability. Oh, glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But notice, I have to will and to do. Why? The doing starts with the willingness. I have to be willing to do it. Right? That's, you, you'll remember Isaiah 1 and 19. That's why it says if you're willing and obedient, willing to do, you'll eat the good of the land. You'll eat the good of the land. Hallelujah. People will ask, very often they'll ask someone, they'll say, well, how do y'all have such a good marriage? I can tell you how they have such a good marriage. They're willing to have one. They're willing to have one. They're willing to do it. They're willing to do what they need to do. Amen. I was, I was talking with my, uh, my oldest son just this last weekend. I, I went over to the house and was visiting with him and my grandkids and, and, uh, uh, we were talking about marriage, and uh, he and, and his wife have a beautiful marriage, and uh, I was talking to him about marriage, and, and uh, somehow it, it came up, marriage problems came up, and, and he, was, he, he made this statement. He said, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, I've never had to really deal with those things, and he said, uh, but I, I learned something, and it blessed me. He said, uh, you know, I learned that marriage is given all of yourself for your spouse. And then you just walk that out. And if you've got both parties giving everything, you're going to be satisfied. Now you have to be willing to do that. Right? How many times have you, well, I, I should say it this way. So many times I've, I've dealt with marriages and I've seen this immaturity. Well, what about me? What about my feelings? What, what, what about my issues? I mean, what about the way I feel? Well, I, I understand that your partner, your spouse, should be concerned about how you feel. But here's the issue. If I'm going to have a good marriage, a mature marriage, a spiritually productive marriage, how I feel has to be moved to not even the back burner. It's got to be moved off the counter. Because my job in the marriage is not to make someone feel good, but to be certain that I'm doing what I have to do to put that other person first, right? Ephesians 5, guys, it says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. So if as a husband, I am giving myself for my wife, I'm giving myself for my family. Amen. And what am I doing? I'm in there partnering with God where my marriage is concerned. And what will God do? He will give me the will to have a good marriage and the energy to do it. Glory be to God. 
Listen, I learned a long time ago, nobody's smart enough to be married. There's not one man among us that is smart enough to be married. If you got a good marriage, God is helping you. Amen? Why? Because from the male standpoint, women are perhaps the most complex being God ever placed on the face of the earth. They, they are mind-blowingly amazing. Hallelujah. And so, and so when you've got a man that's a good husband and man that has a good marriage, God is helping that brother. God's helping him. What? Amen. Do, do you understand? That's so important. So it's, it's not let go and let God. It's get in there and work with him. So I have to will to do. I have to will to do. Say that out loud. Say, I will to do. Now see, when you, when you get there, that's an act of your will. Your mind, your will, your emotions. You're bringing that under the power of your spirit and under the power of the word, and you're making yourself willing to do. Amen. When, when you see something in the Word of God, when you see something in the Word of God, <clears throat> maybe it's something you don't have in your life or something that, that, that's not operating. Uh, you, you, you see a scripture on healing or a scripture on victory financially or victory over the flesh or whatever the case may be. And you see that scripture and you stop and you say, I choose for that to be in my life. I choose to believe that. You may not see it. You may not, it, it, it may not be evident in your life, but you choose to believe that you are that. Hallelujah. Well, then what happens? Then the energy, the power, the ability from the Word, this living book begins to operate in your life. Why? You chose to believe it. You chose, you willed for it to operate in your life. Glory to God. In uh, Romans 12, this will probably be our last scripture. We'll see. Uh, and uh, verse 1, a familiar scripture, but we need to break this down. Paul says, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For what reason? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, uh, I know that, that very often we make the statement that, you know, these letters were not written in chapter and verse, and they were not. Uh, it was, it was added there for the sake of clarity. But what I want you to see is this word. We're going to look at these words. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The word beseech, it's, it's, it's better translated beg or entreat. That's the basic meaning of it. Paul's saying, I beg of you. I'm entreating you. I'm imploring you. And notice what he says. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
by the mercies of God or in light of the mercies of God or because of the mercies of God. We could say this, in light of or because of the mercies of God that I have outlined in the previous statements in this letter, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. All right? Therefore, when you see the word therefore, you stop and see what it's there for. In chapters 1 through 8 of Romans, the plan of salvation doctrinally is presented. All right, 1 through 8, the plan of salvation doctrinally. In chapters 9 through 11, the hope of Israel dispensational is presented. And he's writing to them and he's saying, in light of or in light of what I have explained to you in these previous sentences, these previous statements, in light of what's been outlined before, there's something that you need to do. There's something you need to do. I beseech you, I beg you, I entreat you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Notice this. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word present is used throughout the Septuagint. The Septuagint was written long before Christ was born. It was a, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the word present is used throughout the Septuagint to describe the sacrificial offerings the people would bring to God. So the language is this, that you present your bodies, notice this, once and for all. Once and for all. Now, now notice this, you present. So in light of all that's been said, there's something you need to do. All this teaching I've, I've showed you on salvation and the goodness of God, and justification by faith, and the fact that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, the fact that, there, that, 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 that the Jew is no better than the Gentile, and the Gentile is no better than the Jew, that we're all one new man in Christ. In light of all of these wonderful, revelatory, redemptive truths, there's something you need to do. If you're going to walk them out, if you're going to live in the light of this truth. He says, my brothers, there's something you need to do. You need to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Hallelujah. The language is present. The language is you present your bodies once and for all. The Weymouth translation says, all of your faculties. Now see, that takes us back to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Every part of each one of you. All of your faculties. Well, understand something. This is so important for you to see. This flesh, this body, has no faculties outside of my mind, will, and emotions. This body cannot think on its own. It has to think through my soul. <coughs> And, and if what I'm thinking on through my soul 
is spiritual information and godly information, this body will act in a spiritual godly way. But if what information is coming through my soul is immature, unspiritual, ungodly, and worldly, this body will act immature, unspiritual, ungodly, and worldly. Hallelujah. Do you see this? But when I present my bodies, all my, my body, excuse me, all my faculties, every part of each one of us, every part, mind, will, and emotions. Schofield says that this, when he talks about your reasonable service, notice, giving all your faculties, laying all your faculties, He says that's your reasonable service. Schofield says your divine service. So the indication is that presenting our bodies, our whole being, is in fact an act of worship. It's something that I do in spiritual worship. The uh, Denny translation says it's our spiritual worship. The Phillips translation says our intelligent worship. Weymouth says, our spiritual mode of worship. And the Amplified Bible says, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So Paul says and tells us this is something that can be done daily. And notice, it is a volitional act on our part. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. You do that in light of all that God's done. Hallelujah. Spiritual people understand that. When you get up every day and you commit all of your faculties, you commit all of your thinking, you commit every part of yourself to God, something begins to happen. Paul says what will happen. Notice in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you begin to do that, when you see a believer that seems like they're moved by the world and conformed to the world, they're not doing this. Because the Bible says that when you do this, you won't be conformed to the world. The, 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 in doing this, we won't be conformed to the world around us. One translation says squeezed into the mold of the world. Why? Because in light of all God's done for me, every day I'm presenting my body as a once and for all spiritual act of worship sacrifice all of my faculties, and what happens? He says, you'll not be conformed to this world, but you will be, here it is, transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Now, I've heard people say, well, you know, the... Uh, 
The way you renew your mind is by the Word. That's true. That is so heavily involved in it. It's the largest percentage of it. But here's the thing. Just knowing or hearing the Word is not going to renew your mind if you don't act in accordance with it. That's why you know people and I know people that know volumes of Word, but their mind isn't renewed. Because James said, again, you have to be a doer of the Word. This is what Paul is telling the Romans. After all you've heard about redemption and victory and salvation by faith alone. Amen. He said, now you need to do something. You need to act out what you've heard and present your body a living sacrifice. And here's what will happen. You'll quit being conformed to the image of this world and you'll be transformed because your mind will be renewed. Transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, where we get our word metamorphosis. This word is used in the account of the transfiguration of Jesus. In the transfiguration of Jesus, when he was on the mountain with uh, uh, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his glorified state. And the Bible says that the glory shined through Jesus. Not on him, through him. That tells us how we're supposed to live as believers. Our salvation should expand to consecrate our entire being, every part of every one of us, so that we reflect His glory, so that people see the glory of God coming out of us. Renewing your mind is not just thinking different in the, in the sense of now I think like a Christian. No, renewing your mind is bringing every part of your life, all of your faculties, under the control of what the Word of God says. And when you get up every day, you are committing your whole self to the plan of God and you're offering it as a spiritual act of worship. And what begins to happen is your mind begins to be renewed because you are actively participating, hear me, in your salvation. You're actively participating in it. Hallelujah. Notice what it says. It says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Now, I'm going to hurry with this. Holiness. Now listen, I was raised in a holiness denomination. And uh, I know about holiness in, in that legalistic sense. Uh, the, uh, the leader of the denomination that we were a part of uh, had come out of the United Pentecostal Church. And I don't have anything against the United Pentecostal Church, but they are, they are very uh, legalistic in their viewpoints as far as dress and holiness is concerned. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the ladies cannot cut their hair, wear makeup, uh, wear pants, uh, uh, most, most of them uh, uh, do not have television in their homes. I don't know if that's a, such a bad thing, but they, they don't have television in their home. Uh, 
no, no uh, connection with the world. But everything that they talk about, no connection to the world, it's in something you can do. Uh, don't go to the movies. The kids can't go to high school dances, proms, or, or things of that nature. Uh, you know, you can't listen to this. You can't watch that. And I know that there are things that we shouldn't put our eyes and ears on. But here's my point. If you were to have asked me early on in my church life, what does your church believe? I would have told you all the things we weren't allowed to do. Hallelujah. That is an external holiness that can never renew your mind. Hallelujah. Because in that same denomination, those ministers had a problem not committing adultery. But yet, they were holiness. Well, what, what was that? That was an external holiness that can never change every part of your faculties. I know there's things we need to do, but here, here's the point. The Bible says that in the Old Testament that holiness is beautiful. It says to worship God in the beauty of holiness. Anything that brings bondage into your life spiritually is not God and it's not beautiful. Jesus said, if you'll remember to the religious leaders of his day, he said that you won't eat without washing your hands. And he mentioned a cup and he said, you need to make the inside of the cup clean. Not just the outside of the cup. Right? This external holiness, all it, it did was bring this sense of self-satisfaction to the person that was doing it. It never affected change on the inside. When the Bible uses the word holy, it's basically this concept of being set apart. So Paul says, present your body a living sacrifice, holy or set apart to God. So there are things I don't do because I set myself apart from, for, for God in my life. But it's not just external holiness. There are things that you will quit doing, listen... Because you are holy and you're allowing that holiness to work through you. But anytime you start setting up external things as proof that there's holiness in your life, you're going to fail. And here's why. You are, you are taking the energy of God, the working power ability of God out of the equation and you're saying, my natural uh, uh, human Attempts at holiness are enough and they will never be enough. It takes the power of God to will and to do. Hallelujah. 
And that's, and that's why you'll see people in, in the same church. You'll see people in the same denomination. One man will be struggling with something that the other man gains the victory over and keeps the victory over. And if you will investigate, one man surrendered all of his faculties where that thing was concerned and presented his body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and it changed in his life. And the other person may talk about how they want to change and talk about how they want to be different, but they will not ever make the decision to work out their salvation. And so therefore their mind is never renewed. Hallelujah. Renewing indicates present continuous action on the mind. In other words, I have this happening happening continuously. Presently it's happening. It'll be happening tomorrow. It'll be happening next week. Until Jesus returns or until I go the way of the grave, my mind will be being renewed. And so will yours. Let me finish with this statement. As we renew our minds through the Word of God, it becomes easy to know and live in the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now remember, good, acceptable, and perfect are just three adjectives that describe the will of God. It is good, acceptable, and perfect. There's not a perfect will of God and a a semi-perfect will of God and a sort of perfect will of God. There's only one will of God, and it's good, acceptable, and perfect. And you renew your mind to that. Folks, as we continue to walk these things out, God is moving this ministry. He is saying over and over again, He wants to do a higher level of spiritual things in this ministry. That will of necessity require that those of us in this ministry go to another level of spiritual maturity. And we're outlining, we're we're cutting down the trees here. We're giving the outline of how do we do it. And what we learned tonight was simply this. There's a part that you have to play. You've got to get in there and work out your salvation. My mother used to say it this way. She'd say, I need you to go clean your room. And, and, you know, you'd be a kid and you'd go in there and get distracted. And she'd come to that door and she'd say, Philip Wayne, get busy. This room isn't going to clean itself. Hallelujah. Your mind is not going to renew itself. Hallelujah. Your body is not going to act right by itself. You're not going to be spiritual just because you're a Christian. You're going to be spiritual because you do what it takes to work out your salvation. And then you'll begin to understand the will and the doing in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We'll stand up, everyone. Father, I thank you tonight for the men and women that have heard the word so faithful. Lord, they are so desirous of the things of God. And Father, I pray that they would walk in this revelation of willingness to do what you have us to do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.